All right, before I start the show, I want to give you something for free. That that really makes you listen, doesn't it? There are three times in life where people will listen no matter what. If someone says, hey, I know someone who wants to sleep with you, in your brain, you're like, wait, what? Who? How? How do they? Who? Really? You're in. You want to know. <laughs> what have they heard about me? Have they, have they seen game film? Right? Could be anybody. But in your brain, you think it's someone fantastic. Wait, what? Really? Someone wants to sleep with me? Uh, second time that you will pay attention if someone says, hey, I've got free booze. And you're like, I'm in. Right? And the third thing is, I want to give something to you. Those are the three times in life that you will pay attention no matter how uh, busy you are. I want to give you something. It's my new book. It's called Malraux and the Midnight Organ Fight. It is a young adult novel about murder. It's about two young teen detectives trying to solve a series of murders one summer in San Francisco that happens to be a very bloody summer indeed. They have a detective agency, uh... You know, Weston and Malraux are sort of like Holmes and Watson. Uh, It's a Sherlock Holmes cover version set against uh, San Francisco's Outer Sunset District. There's thrash metal, Russians swinging cleavers wearing birds masks. There's uh, ninjas in Tom Ford suits. It's true. Uh, There's organ removal, thrash metal, uh, gunplay, and a love story. And I want to give it to you. It's October, so the time to give you this book is this month. That does not sound like a uh, Christmas description, does it? Well, it's not. It is a Halloween-themed type book, okay? That's an awkward way of putting it, uh, but uh, that's how we're doing it right now. Here's how I'm going to give you the book. All you have to do is write to me and tell me how you're going to be spending your Halloween. My favorite day of the year, my absolute favorite day of the year, I want to know how you're spending it. Uh, We're not going to be able to do much this year, so hopefully you're doing something fun, you've gotten innovative, you've created an alternative Halloween reality. Go ahead and lie if you have to. Sexy vampire party, I've been invited to one. I have. In Norway. Am I going to go? No, I'm not going because Norway won't have me. But I've been invited by, I imagine... Some very tall uh, vampires. They sound lovely. It's uh, Jennifer is her name and her three friends, uh, her sub-vampires. She didn't tell me their names, but she did send me a picture. And everyone's rather fetching. That's all I'm going to say. When I I, uh, saw that picture, I thought, boy, what I wouldn't do to go to Oslo. I didn't quite put it that way in my brain. But for radio, it was, boy, I sure wish I could manage a way to go to Oslo. Anyway, listen, all you have to do is email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com, and tell me how you're spending your Halloween. The person who's spending their Halloween in the most interesting, exciting, innovative, and cool way wins a copy of my book. I will sign it, and I will send it to you. Now, I'm not as wealthy as Amazon, so don't expect, you know, if you're to win, same-day drone delivery, but do expect that in a couple of weeks there will be a package on your doorstep and it will be delivered with love. Aw. (laughs) I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, 
the podcast. Check this out. the music of my guest today on the program, Dave Cause. Let me tell you a little bit about Dave Cause. Life is a short affair. We should try to make it smooth and free from strife. Those are the immortal words of the philosopher Euripides. But if you're having trouble in the free from strife department and no one could blame you for having that, throw on some Dave Cause and let the smooth begin. The California-born UCLA graduate decided in the late 80s that in spite of his degree in mass communication, his real desire was to bring his music to the masses. The saxophonist got his start playing in Richard Marx's band and doing session work, but recurring guest stints on the Arsenio Hall show brought him widespread recognition, and by 1990, he signed with Capitol and put out his self-titled debut album. That would be the first of almost 20 studio efforts, which, along the way, include Lucky Man, the Grammy-nominated Saxophonic, and his brand new album, A New Day. Cause's musical CV is loaded with riches, so I'll just give you a few. He wrote the theme song for General Hospital. He was the band leader on the Emerald Lagasse show. He's the host of the Sirius XM radio show, the Dave Cause Lounge. He's been on programs ranging from Desperate Housewives to The Eric Andre Show, and unsurprisingly, he has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Cause's new album, well, it's about as smooth as it gets. Not only does it feature guest performances from Brian McKnight, Earth, Wind & Fire's Ralph Johnson, David Sanborn, and Michelle Indicello, it's Cause's first new album of new material in almost 10 years. From the rousing title track to the affecting reading of The Beatles' Yesterday, A New Day demonstrates that not only is Cause a deft player with finesse and groove, he's still as smooth as they come. You know what else was smooth? Talking to Dave Cause. He is a great guy. It was like chatting with an old friend. So have a listen to me and Dave Cause right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. A guy who works uh, for me the other day said um, he he was listening to a Led Zeppelin song in his car and his daughter, who's like 12, was uh, in the car listening. And she was and the song was like nine minutes long. And uh, her name is Callan. She said, nine minutes. And she was emphatic. She said, no piece of music should be over three minutes long. <laughs> it's like, that's what we're dealing with is the attention yeah. span of zero. Uh but so like the idea of, I used to listen to albums. I'd buy an album. I would listen with headphones on a stereo system in my bedroom. I couldn't wait, you know, for the, the, um, 
that experience of turning the record over and listening to side B and then turning it over and listening to side A again. Right. Rituals, sadly gone. But I still believe in albums. I still believe in making projects that uh, say something with a number of songs. But whether people listen to it that way, I don't know. Does that play with your head as an artist where you think like, oh, no one's going to listen to front to back? Or do you not think about that? I still think of the listening experience. I still think of uh, what I want people to feel as a song or as an album develops. Mm -hmm. Uh, So because I I think that's the ultimate experience. If somebody is going in the studio and making an album, a lot of people don't make albums now. They just will record a song or two or three, release that, which is great, or an EP. But in this case, I had made an album in uh, a long time. It was like 10 years since the last time I made a, a original music album. So I thought of it in this way, in its purest form, I'm going to make a, a full length album and sequence it song to song. Maybe, you know, 5% of the people that will listen this way, but at least for those 5%, this is the the story that I want to tell the narrative. And this, this album definitely had a particular narrative, maybe more than any other album that I've ever made before. Do you think the 10 year gap helped that album germinate and sort of unfurl in that way? Well, I had a, honestly, Alex, I had a, a pretty bad attitude about music based on what we were just talking about before. Because I was thinking, you know, there's there's very few radio stations now that play this music. There's there's no place to buy music. Right. But I was like, well, what's the point of making an album? So for the last 10 years, I've been making, I have been making albums, but they've been very marketing driven. So they've really been in support of a tour. Mm-hmm. So the touring was the lead and the album followed the tour. Uh, as opposed to the way it used to be, which was you make an album and then you go on tour to support the album. That's not so much what you do anymore. And now all of our touring is suspended. This is a a very, well, bizarre time, to say the least. All of us musicians, all of us artists have been really sidelined for for months and months and months and probably will be continuing to be sidelined for for quite some time before touring resumes. So this, um, this album, I think, was... For me, it was when the pandemic hit, I kind of knew that I what I needed to do. I wasn't mm-hmm. planning on doing it. I mean, it was the 30th uh, anniversary this year. That marks the 30th anniversary since my first record came out in 1990, believe it or not. So I kind of had it in the back of my mind that it might be nice to record something. But I didn't know what until that pandemic hit. And then I was like... I know how I use music, especially now, to comfort me in a way that words just don't comfort. And I thought, well, that's kind of what my music has been doing for people, I hope, in yeah. form, for a lot of years. So uh, then the, the challenge came to, well, how are we going to do this if there's no, no way to actually be in a studio with everybody? So we, we just put our minds to it. I, I wrote songs virtually with my co-writers. I had different teams going uh, at the same time around the country. Uh, writing songs, producing demos that we would then send to musicians to replace the parts. It was a drum machine, uh, live drummer uh, replacing guitar, bass, um, all the instruments, all the special guests were recorded virtually, including David Sanborn and Bob James and Brian McKnight and a bunch of others. So, And I think one of the things that was really nice was everybody was home because they right. were sidelined too. And they were not just home, they were like chomping at the bit to to express themselves musically. So this project came at a time 
that um, that people were ready to to jump on board. So I was very very pleased with how it all how it all played out. And also, creative people need to create. <laughs> I mean, it's that yeah. simple, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been inspiring to see what people have done online. Uh, and when the pandemic hit too, I started, uh, like many, many artists, a weekly online show, uh, that, um, and they were, they were pretty, (laughs) they were pretty brutal in the beginning because I, I didn't really know the, the, uh, technology very well, but people just enjoyed tuning in. It was maybe an hour every Friday. I would be at home. I'd have my sacks. I'd take requests and, and it was just a a way to be together. I think more importantly than anything else it was just here we are together if you're a fan of the music then at least we have this time together to to feel better a little bit for an hour yeah and have you speaking of feeling better have you tracked your emotional um your daily emotional sort of balance has that been affected in the last six months other days where you're like i've got this and other days where you go what the hell's going on i mean where are you in terms of day to day? Well, it's a nice way of putting it. I think it is day to day. And there are, for everybody that's that I talk to in my life, there are good days and bad days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, fortunately, today feels like a good day. <laughs> so I'm in a good mood. But there are days when I wake up and it's just, it's it's difficult because not, not so much my life is difficult, although there are challenges in my life uh, as there are in everybody's lives. And no matter what, you know that as bad as a day is, there's always someone who's having a worse day. And so that's something that I hold in my heart. I don't want to complain. I'm not a complainer. Uh, because there's always somebody that's hurting more than you are. But I also think that it's important to express yourself. And, and if uh, you know, I'm such an eternally positive person, just, you know, glass half full person. So this is kind of strange when I'm in a foul mood. Yeah. I try not to spread it around too much. I try to, to still spread positivity into the world. But sometimes it's very difficult because this is, this is a time of great, divisiveness. This is, it's, I mean, this year is just everything thrown in. I mean, just let's throw it in. The other night, I live in Los Angeles, and the other night, it was a particularly tough day. You know, it's all political stuff, everything. And then I uh, was in, embedded around 1130, and then there was an earthquake. <laughs> it's like, all right, come on, pour <laughs> it on. Let's do, let's do this now. Fortunately, it was not the big one, thank God. Yeah, no, and I mean, also on Friday, you know, first night of Rosh Hashanah, and I thought, okay, it's an, it, this is a good new beginning, a new, a new year, a new, new way of thinking, and then we get the news that RBG died, and I thought uh, the timing was just, you know, it never could be good, but it just felt, it felt like uh, stoking the fire of, of uh, darkness. On the flip side, I agree with you 100%. But yeah. Side, uh, somebody said to me, and uh, I'm Jewish too, but I didn't know this, that if somebody dies, a Jew dies on the high holiday, they're, they're, it's like, it's almost like a kiss from God. Like right. you, you fulfilled your, your earthly service in the highest way, and now you can move on. So uh, that kind of made me feel, it's kind of flipped it a little bit for me. Although the contention uh, that exists now of what's going to happen uh, as a result of, of the vacancy, the huge uh, vacancy that she has left in this world, not just on the Supreme Court, but just what she stood for. She was uh, an icon of icons. Right. 
Right. I mean, and and I I didn't know that either. And I'd heard that that evening, and I went, okay, I'm getting. Let me get my head around that. That that works. And then the, what came afterwards, I went, none of that other stuff works. <laughs> it was terrible. But yes, I agree with you. And that's that's um, you know, people seem to want 2020 to be over, and I can certainly understand why. Um, it has the sort of um, I'm like you. I'm sort of unsinkably, you know, very positive. Um, but that the elasticity of that belief has been tested in the last, in the last six months for sure. Uh, oh yeah, uh, and but you know, I think if you're if you're that kind of person, you're going to continue to be that kind of person. Uh, yeah. This is a test. This year is definitely a test. And I, as much as it pains me to say, I think that we're, we're when the calendar flips over to twenty one. Uh, it's not like magically everything's going to be different. Right. No matter what happens with the election, whoever wins, I think that we're in for a, uh, a bit of a rocky time uh, because of uh, very deep-seated beliefs on, on both sides. We're a very divided country right now. And how we get through this, I have no idea. I know that it, we will get through it uh, some way, but... Um, I think I'm, I'm preparing myself for some, some rocky moments for the next, next bit of time. And one thing that would be really wonderful is to be rid of this, uh, this pandemic. That yeah. would be a beautiful thing for it to, uh, to get the heck out <laughs> so yeah. we can all resume our lives. I was having a conversation with some fellow artists yesterday that we get, get together for a Zoom every few weeks. And uh, we were talking about, the, because the kind of music that we all make, which is Contemporary jazz or smooth jazz, we do these cruises, we're out there on tour, and our audience, maybe more so in this format than any other format, is really a mix of America. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have old and young and black and white and every race and gay and straight and Republican and Democrat. It's very, very even. Uh, it, it looks like a melting pot of America when we look out at our audiences or on these cruises. And we know that in, because people are bound together by their love of the music, that the differences sort of fade away and all the similarities are much more front of, of uh, mind in these situations. Like on the cruise, for example, we are able to, over the course of a week, everybody is different and everybody comes there uh, with who they are, their egos in check. But, you know, over the course of those seven days, all of it melts away and everybody starts to move in the same direction. And I know it's cliche or pie in the sky, but I've seen it. I really have seen it work. You know, people get along. People can get along. So uh, on this call, we were talking about, well, you know, it's, it's kind of it's weird because this this little element of bringing people together, it's just one small little thing of smooth jazz or contemporary jazz concerts in America, but there are hundreds if not thousands of them bringing this experience of, of bringing people together that doesn't happen this year. So, you know, it's that one element that's missing. I don't know whether it really makes a difference, but my, my inkling is that, yeah, it does make a difference. I agree with you. And and this is a, a, my very neurotic Jewish moment. Uh, I have a lot of them. Uh, but when you talk about those cruises and you talk about, I mean, you and I are men over 50. Uh, when you as a performer go back to those cruises to play, at what point do you feel safe? Do you think or, or have you even gotten your head around the idea of when you would feel that you could be protected and your health is OK to be exposed to an audience like that? 
Well, we just had a, a sad uh, last weekend when we sent an email to our uh, about 6,000 guests on our 2021 cruise mm -hmm. saying that we, we will not be doing it in our, uh, uh, the original time uh, that we, we allotted. We had sold out three cruises uh, in May of 2021. And this is after having canceled 2020 as well. We had a cruise uh, that was supposed to go this year in, in May and we canceled that, moved that to 22. And now we had to cancel 21 because it just, it's, it's, there is no way to produce the kind of immersive experience. I mean, you can't social distance uh, a, a jazz cruise. You just can't no. do it. I mean, no. And I'm, I'm interested to see how the cruise companies, which have been so brutalized uh, through, I mean, if, if there's one industry that has really taken it hard, it's the cruise industry, which is a massive industry. So yeah. they will come back. I mean, they're too big to fail, but uh, I don't know how they're going to do it. Um, and uh, our partners, at least for 2021, is Hall in America. And they agreed with us. They said, you know, we understand completely. They don't have any charter cruises going that are planned in 2021. Everybody who, who does, whether it's a, a Star Trek cruise or a jazz cruise or a country cruise, they've all sort of pulled out of 2021 because we don't feel that it's safe uh, to be able to do the kind of experience that those uh, charter cruises have for our guests. So, mm -hmm. And then the nice thing is that guests, although disappointed as they are, as we are, uh, they understand. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, you know, everybody wants to stay healthy. <laughs> That's sort of a, you know, a, a thing. Um, in terms of your daily practice, are you, do you find that you have more time than you normally would have? Are you, I sound, I sound like you're like, you know, uh, are you using it wisely? <laughs> uh, That's a good question. Uh, it's funny because I'm not doing anything, and yet I, I maybe you you can relate to this. I don't feel like I'm doing anything, but I have never been busier. I have like wake up in the morning, I start my day earlier. I'm going to bed earlier because mm -hmm. I feel like I need more sleep now, just to recoup from the days. Uh, and you don't know how how much the emotional toll is actually working on you. Uh, so, and the other thing that's fat been fatiguing for me personally is just having to learn how to do everything differently now. Yeah. Everything has gone online. We're mounting a big uh, virtual record release party on October 9th, when the, the day that the album comes out. But just doing that and, and the particulars and figuring out how to produce that, doing these kinds of things with uh, people like yourself, Alex, um, it's just for teaching an old dog uh, some new tricks and my brain doesn't really work that well when it comes to technology, I'll be honest. <laughs> I'm an analog guy in a digital world. So that's where a lot of the fatigue comes in. But, um, you know, we're doing it. We're just, we have to do it. And this is a, uh, I don't think that we're ever going to go, this may sound a little pessimistic, but I don't think that we're ever going to go back to the way it was. I know we're going right. to a better place. I really feel that we're going to a better place but it'll look different than, than the way it was, say, just in 2019. Growing up in the 80s, I always thought that the apocalypse would be either Blade Runner or Road Warrior. I thought it was one or the other. I didn't see it as us masking up and walking through supermarkets, you know, dealing with people at their radioactive. I never really thought it would look like this. But here we are, and we're sort of doing our pandemic pivots where we're innovating and we are learning how to do things differently. Um, I teach college for a living, 
And my classes are now all like this. You know, I've just got 20, 20 uh, kids on a screen and having never met them in person wow. and trying to, to evaluate their skills. And it's, it's something that is new and draining. And, uh, and it's, you miss the electricity of the classroom, just like I'm sure you miss the electricity of being in a room with people playing music. Yeah. It's, it's, so you're, you're still able to get in the, in your situation, you're still able to get your point across and you can see on the, at least you see, can, can see their faces yeah. whether they're getting something or not. Um, and, and hopefully that, that is the case with us too. You, you can't n not necessarily see people's faces as they respond to the music, but we're pushing it out there. And uh, we created a, a little campaign to, since we can in the digital era, of sharing a lot of music uh, in advance of the release. So we came up with this campaign called Colors of a New Day, where every Friday with a different color, uh, we're sharing a, another song from the album. And we did that. Uh, we will have done that for six weeks leading up to the album's release. Mm -hmm. And we get people to, that are playing along. They say, hey, you know, this, this week's color is green. Send us a, a picture of you in green if you want to play along using the hashtag Colors of a New Day. And you know what? People are doing it, which is an amazing thing. So I, I think that, that I hope that people are looking for simple things of fun and camaraderie to be a part of right now because there are so many things that are, are not that. And hopefully this uh, conjures up a little imagination for people to, to be creative and to be fun and to have, have fun with this. And, um, you know, it's, we're, we're all doing the best that we can. Yeah. Numbers and what we're what we're able to deal with right now. You, is it, is what you're doing is a prime example of that. Yeah, everyone's had to sort of shift a little bit, and it's and some things have been easier than others. You know, um, some things have been kind of seamless. Um, the I'm very curious about you in terms of because I'm a writer, and I have found that I'm a better writer than I am a person. Right. I, I think I'm smarter in my writing than I am in my daily life. And I wonder if you if you ever felt that way about your art, like this is my this is my lane and I'm and this is where I'm I'm so I have such mastery. Whereas out in the world it's just it's just trickier to be a person. I've never been asked that question before. That is a very good question, Alex. Um well it I think every artist hopes that their music is a reflection of who they are. And I, I, I think that this album is definitely a reflection, an accurate reflection of who I am at this moment, mm -hmm. uh, which is very, my, my heart is full and my heart, I mean, I, my brain is full, my heart is full, uh, and I'm grap grappling to try and make sense of everything. And so there is not like this real bravado of this music. This music is tender. This music, even on the real up-tempo songs, there's a vulnerability to it because I really don't know what the hell I'm doing. I really have no clue. One thing I'm trying to do, which is under the banner of being a better person, is I have a lot of friends um, and even some coworkers that are having very difficult times right now. They're not able to process uh, all that's happening and uh, or things that have happened, loved ones have gone and, and they're just challenging times for a lot of people in my life. So I'm really uh, grateful to not be on the road and not be out there so that I can be more 
even if I'm not seeing them, just to be more of a daily presence in their lives, checking in on them. And uh, so that that kind of is as difficult as it is. It's making me feel better to be able to show up as a human being more at this time. The reason why I asked that is because, like, for example, if I was in college and I was trying to, I had a romantic interest and it didn't work out, I would go home and I would write. Or it, whatever happens in my life that makes no sense, I can make sense of it through writing. So it it goes through the writing machine and then it, then all is well. So there's a kind of clarifying element to creativity. Um, whereas I don't know if you ever, if there were moments of heartbreak where you would just come home and play your, play your instrument. And if, and if that would, e- would be the easing element for you. I'll say that the, the very first day that I picked up the saxophone was for that express purpose. And I didn't even know it at the time. I was 13 years old. I was going into seventh grade. Uh, I was a mess emotionally. I didn't know, you know, because I'm a 13 year old kid, very awkward, overweight, kind of really awkward, just it was a tough time for most 13 year olds, yeah. bodies exploding. But I was dealing with a, uh, a secret uh, that I couldn't really talk to anybody about. And that was, I was, I, I was gay and I didn't, I didn't even know the language. I didn't even know what this was. I knew that I couldn't share it with my family or friends. I knew that this was something I had to keep inside of me because I didn't really even know how to express what it was. Right. I had no tools. And then the saxophone was placed into my hands at that pivotal time. And I was able to, I thank God for it because there was this vehicle that I had now to express myself in a way that I didn't have words for. And so the DNA of the sound that I made way back then, it's got all of that emotion in it. And I've thought about this for, for years now. Why why do I have a career as a saxophone player when there are so many people, I'm not saying this to, to put myself down, but there are so many better players of the instrument than I am. Why is it that I have a career? Why do people care about the sound that I make? I mean, I've been doing this for a very long time. It's right. Unbelievable. So I think that there is in the sound that was made very early on and consistently made for all these years, there's a, uh, there's something that's reminiscent for most human beings because we all go through painful moments in our lives. We all have to deal with crap in our lives. And the saxophone, the sound that I make has that, even though I make what I would consider pretty positive and upbeat music, inside the sound is a familiar um, sound that that harkens to people's emotions in, inside. That's the reason why I feel I've had this career. Uh, is because it's a very base level emotion that's represented in the music.
When you came out and you could make peace with that publicly, did the sound of the instrument change? Yeah, I think so. I think that there was a confidence that comes with showing up and really putting your feet in your shoes and saying, this is who I am. Uh, Everything, people said, uh, you know, what changed? What changed? Must have been a huge change, sea change when you came out. I did it when I was 40. So that's now 17 years ago. And I really did expect, uh, I didn't know what would happen, but I expected that my life would change. And if for whatever reason, my career was going to end as a result of this, and that was definitely a possibility. I was okay with it because I was finally able to play with a full deck of cards. So the irony was that nothing changed. I mean, zero changed. The only change was internal. Like I felt like a whole person for the first time in my life. And as a result of that feeling whole, I think that the confidence helped expand my, my career even to another level. And I think it's been, been going in that direction ever since. I spoke to Tyler from Neon Trees a couple of weeks ago, and he said the exact same thing. I think he came out at around 30, um, and he felt like I'm a whole new person. This is a whole new, my life kind of begins in this different way now. And like, what a relief to, to get to be that person. Um, you hear stories about people who come out at 80 and you're, you're, you know, when your heart breaks, do you think like you, you, you had to sort of conceal that or feel you to conceal that? Um, it's a, it's a seismic shift in a, in a, in a life. And it's a generational thing. The people who, uh, sadly are not able to find the, their voice, their authentic voice till they're 80 years old. That's, that's primarily because of their generation, I feel. Yeah. Uh, and every generation has it better. Although it's still not easy for a gay kid or a lesbian or a trans. I mean, this is, this is difficult, especially right now with the way the politics are in this country. It's not an easy thing ever for anybody. But I, I do believe that there's, there is good that comes from um, being your authentic self, whatever that is. Uh, the experience for me was uh, growing up, I created this mountain of fear uh, about, on this subject alone. And uh, I've thought there's, this mountain has, is now too big. I'm never going to be able to scale it. And then all of a sudden, this opportunity came up and I did it. I just said, screw it. I'm just going to do this and let the chips fall where they fall. And I get on the other side of the mountain. I look back and I realize there is no mountain. I, there is zero mountain. It was all just in my own head. And that was a great lesson to learn because we all create these mountains of fear that we feel that we can't scale, whatever the issue is. And in the end, uh, they're just not there. They really are not there. They're mostly there in our minds. Yeah. It sounds like a, like a, a Zen lesson where it's sort of like you, you had to get up the mountain to realize there was no mountain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, were you sort of kicking yourself for thinking that there was, or did you let yourself off the hook? I let myself off the hook. Good. <laughs> I'm particularly hard on myself, but in that one, I let myself go because, you know, there's, there is no, and I, I would say this to any gay, uh, gay kid, um, you know, uh, there is no way. There is no right way or wrong way, and there is no timing. The timing is all you. Don't let anybody, and I would never, ever say this to someone, that you should come out or you have to come out and you need to do this. No, you, you do it when it's right. It took me till I was 40 to do it, and I, even at 40, I wasn't even sure that I would ever do it, but it just happened. 
Uh, and But I do see these incredible, at least on this subject matter, I see some incredible stories of people. I'm blown away by these young people at 17 or 18 or 19 that know who they are and come out and are okay with who they are and their families accept them and, and love them and the communities accept them and love them. These are stories that are big uh, shots in the arm for me. Yeah, and there, it's a weird time because I feel like there's some cognitive dissonance where I think socially being gay, being trans has never been more accepted or I don't want to say normalized, but I feel accepted socially in high schools, among friend groups, more so than, than when you and I went to school. I think that's for sure. But politically, uh, it's terrible, you know, in, in terms of rights being stripped away and being marginalized by, by that. So there's this weird thing where I think there's some amazing things that have happened and some terrible things that are still happening. And so you have those two kind of bumping against each other where, um, you know, it just sends weird messages, you know? Yeah. But art usually uh, helps move, uh, move things along. So we are seeing a lot more accurate representation of, of this community, this broad community on television and in movies. And hopefully those positive reinforcements will help people uh, move along the spectrum uh, of, of freedom, you know, because yeah. people are just being who they are. This is the base level thing. It's not like I want to be gay. I'm happy that I'm gay now, but it wasn't always that way. But I don't think anybody, there's no, there's no choosing. This is who we are, uh, born as who we are. So, um, you know, it's, I just think it's going to take some time before we get to that place. The right side of history, you know, it takes a long time, but eventually, God willing, <laughs> we get there. I know. And I think this is a very helpful conversation for people to hear in the same way that when Taylor Swift speaks up, um, I think, or, or Tyler from Neon Trees, with this kind of platform of whatever size it may be, I think is really instructive and helpful and comforting to, to a lot of people. Well, it's, it's just about hearing from people their story. And if, if people are, are comfortable enough to share their truth with, uh, with the general public, uh, I think it's a great thing. And more and more people are doing that. And as a result, and it's not just with gay issues, it's with, I mean, look at what's happened uh, with protests this, this, uh, this year. And I mean, it's, it's basically every social issue that's coming out right now. It's yeah. brave people saying, this is my truth. I don't expect you to understand, but I feel this is what I have to say. And we move our society forward because of the bravery of people that are willing to show up as who they are. And I think yeah. it's a great thing. I, I, you know, lately I've been posting, I'm an apolitical person. Uh, I'm political in my own life, uh, but I have on social media and in my presence, I've been pretty non-political because I, I want to bring people together, not push people apart. Right. But lately, this is a, a year where uh, it's a different year. Let's just put it that way. And I feel the necessity to at least share my feelings somewhat, not fully, but somewhat. And I, I posted something just yesterday, just uh, it was National Voter Registration Day. So I felt like, okay, I'm going to post something about getting out the vote. I mean, it yeah. was nonpartisan, uh, but I felt it was important to at least let my fans know that I really hope that they take the necessary steps to make sure that, they, that they're prepared. Yeah. for November 3rd. And uh, uh, it was pr fairly positive r response, but there were a few that were like, 
we don't want to hear this from you. We, this, is, this is uncomfortable for us. We just, just stick to the sacks and stay out of politics. And this is on my page. It's not their page. Uh, right. It's my page. Um, so that kind of hurts a little bit that, we're, that there are, there's a segment of, po- of the population that doesn't want us to be able to just say the things that are important to us and want to put us in a box and keep us there. And I don't think that that's healthy. And so I will not continue to do that. I'm going to continue to share my feelings and yeah. may ruffle a few feathers, but you know, that's okay. These are unprecedented times. It's amazing to think that such a neutral post could rustle any feather. Yeah, but I think it it uh, it it adds sort of a, a credence to the fact that you know pe- people like to keep people in in a certain lane, and if you right. veer off into a different lane, it's like what? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't talk about that. We, yeah, we're not comfortable with that. Just you stick to your to your lane. But that's just it's not reality. It's like the sax guy. Uh, is not supposed to have any opinion about anything outside of of music, right? It's it's sort of like, um, I mean, even if you posted something about you should rescue uh, stray animals or you should get your get your dog and cat fixed, people will go, "Hey, wait a second, let's <laughs> talk about saxophone yeah. music, not about cats and dogs." But right, right. The work in progress, and we we have just a, a very divisive uh, feeling in in our country right now and i think there's a tremendous amount of fear there's just it's ba- it's all fear based I, i've noticed too that uh here in los angeles where i live you put on your mask you go out for a walk you go to get a coffee or have some lunch or something like that and people pass each other on the street and the mask really like makes you act differently than if you didn't have a mask on and i go i sort of go out of my way even to to shout so make sure that they hear me through the mask. Hello, you know, hi, good afternoon or good morning. And uh, people, nobody really says anything to anybody anymore because I think we're just all afraid because you don't know what that person thinks or how they feel. And you're just, this is a very tense time. And, and uh, it, it, that hurts my heart because it would be nice if we were all more, or I should say less fearful and just more embracing of each other because we really need each other to lean on right now more than anything. Yeah. We're, we're locked in our houses. We're not seeing our loved ones. We're not being able to do the things that we want to do uh, for the most part or travel to, to this and do that. And, and yet we've, we're now kind of recoiling even more into our own worlds, uh, making us less human, really, which is not... To me, it's not the way to go. No. Well, what is your daily practice in terms of, I'm really kind of curious for someone like you who's so accomplished on your instrument, do you play every day or or should you play every day? Like, how does that work? Uh, I don't play every day. Uh, okay. The saxophone is out at my house, so it's, it's there for me to play. Uh, but there's usually something going on three or four times a week where I'm going to be playing. I went to Minnesota a couple of weeks ago to record yet another album with uh, a Minnesotan named Corey Wong, and that album is going to come out next year. And we did that social distance in a studio, wearing masks until it was time to do a take. Can't really wear a mask and play the sax. Right. You know, if you could, <laughs> it wouldn't sound very good. Uh, so that was really a fun thing to be able to, to do and uh, to do during this time period, especially. So, you know, I love playing the saxophone. I, I still do. I've been playing the instrument for 45 years. So it's a very long time, uh, yeah. but I still find it, 
incredibly satisfying to, in the same way that it was when I was 13. Like I will go to it if, if I'm feeling a lot of anxiety or stuff inside that, that needs to come out and I'll just play for a little while, even if nobody's listening. Fortunately, I have neighbors here that don't mind. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise that would be ra- rather awkward. Well, I imagine if you live next door to Dave Cause and he's playing music, you're like, you're, you're kind of, you're going to get your, uh, you're in a good place. Oh, believe me. Uh, does, <laughs> it does not matter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd be happy. Um, Very sweet. Is there a certain amount of guilt where if you don't play, do you walk by the instrument and go, what are you looking at? I mean, do you feel you have that there's a, that you are sort of compelled uh, to play? And it, when you're not playing, you go, I'm not going to play today. Is there something in the back of your brain that goes, well, maybe you should, or you don't have that relationship with your, with your instrument? I think it's a primary relationship in my life. And I, I don't have, uh, uh, I'm not married, so I don't have a partner. So the saxophone really has, it sort of fulfills that role of primary uh, primary partner. And I think in many of the same ways that personal relationships uh, go, there's days when you really totally take each other for granted. Yeah. And then, so I might not look at it for a while and then I'll come back to it and I'll go, oh, I love you so much. And look at all the gifts that you've given me, the, the amazing blessing that you've brought to my life. So, and then, then it's like, oh, I love you so much. But then there are days when I was like, you know, I don't, I'm not interested. So it's, it's, uh, it's a full circle. It can go from one extreme to another, but more than more often than not, I always come back to the saxophone as uh, my best friend yeah. uh, and a, a true source of inspiration for me. And I think that's why I'm still I still feel compelled to make albums to share my music, and uh, hopefully, people will enjoy them. Is there always music in your head, even when you're not playing? Are you creating when you're walking around? You're at the supermarket. You're mailing a letter at the post office. Is your brain wired that way? A hundred percent. And I always have my my uh, uh, cell phone that I can do little uh, messages to myself or the voice recorder. And most of them are crap. I mean, the vast majority <laughs> are crap. And this usually hits me late at night, uh, usually between like eleven. PM and 1 AM where the, like, there's always just the, there's, there's somebody talking to me. Some entity is talking to me, sending me melodies. And I'm like, you know, I might be in bed and I'm just, I just don't want to do this, but I'll kind of lazily put it into my voice recorder and I'll go back and revisit some of those ideas, those little motifs later on. And for the most part, they suck, but uh, there's occasionally one in there that really strikes a chord. So you never know. It's, it's, it's it's a it's a game, and uh, I feel like in those moments when the muse strikes, uh, get it out of your head at least, so that you can review it. Because uh, once it's if you don't get it out of your head, and it's gone, it's going to never come back. Right, and also, isn't it true that the stuff that sucks um, is part of the process? Like you have you have to do the stuff that sucks. I think so. It's it is part of the process because not everything is great. <laughs> the right. Lead. But it's the process of uh, of weeding through, even on on songs that are are good and and you feel really good about. You can't necessarily have all of them in one project. You need to. I mean, there were projects. Obviously, there were songs on this project, the the uh, A New Day album, that uh, I really loved, but didn't fit for whatever reason. It just did not fit. Maybe there was another song that I really liked more that was in that similar uh, similar vein. 
uh, or maybe it just this was not the project, the album for that particular song. So you mm. have to kind of put on the judge. I have really great people in my life that help me uh, evaluate my own music because, and I trust them uh, implicitly because if you are the creator, uh, it's very, very difficult to be, um, you know, to not have a foot on the scale because you, you, these are your babies. You know, right. Some are better than others, but I really rely on this. is a guy named John Burke who I worked with for 10 years on uh, when I was uh, working with Concord uh, Records. And John helped me even though he was not, he didn't make a dime from this. He just basically as my friend, I would play him stuff and he'd say, yeah. Or yeah, he'd say, eh, maybe that one you could put to the side. Having that kind of trust uh, with somebody that you really, really rely on uh, in the in the creative process has really helped me. I, I don't know if I'd be able to do it without without someone like that. And also the moment, it, it, you know, and I know this as a writer that the moment where someone that you trust does the, eh, it hurts, man. It's just it stings for at least a second, <laughs> it's, even though you know yes. they're right. Yes, uh, and especially with people that you don't know if they don't. Or the, when when I play music for people or send and you don't hear even hear back from somebody after sending them a song, right? Those things hurt. You know, you're an, you're an artist, you're a writer. You pour your heart and soul and everything you got into your words, and they're very important to you. I think you got to make peace with knowing that they probably won't be as important to anybody else in the same way that they are to you. And if you can make peace with that, then what you do get is gravy. And I think that's exactly right. And I think for, for young artists of any kind, I think that the, the moments of, eh, the, you have to take those on the chin because the moments of, where someone goes, this is just remarkable. You, you, in order to, to earn those moments, you've got to take the ones that, that hurt. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the role of an artist. Uh, you can't. You have to do it for yourself, for the for the most part, I would say. And if anybody comes along and enjoys what you do, then that's just extra. That's a bonus. But if you can make music, or in your case, if you can write something that that pleases you and that you can look at and say, "I like this. I'm going to put my name on this. I'm standing behind it, and I feel like this is an accurate re- reflection of who I am at this moment," then you've done all you can. And yeah. People respond to it great and if people don't respond to it you know there, there was an album that I made it was my third album that I just heard this sound in my head and I was hell-bent on on doing it I had come off of two very successful albums so selling you know the the second one went gold yeah. and I released this one the record company at Capitol at the time said it's okay we believe in you this is different we're gonna put this out it was a it was a total flop I mean total flop and uh, I really felt bad about it. I mean, it, it really crushed me. But that crush led me to, to make my next album, which was called The Dance. And that was my most successful album. So right. I think all of these things, these uh, patterns of the ebb and flow of your creative output, um, even though you can't see it at the time, but when you're in that low or that failure or that bomb, uh, it's there for a reason. And I can look now back on my career and say, well, that really was important. Very important. Painful as it was, got <laughs> me to the next phase, which brought everything back. So I don't think I would have made the dance had I not made the one before it. Well, just out of curiosity, the one before it, the one that shall be nameless, 
Um, how do you regard it now? Like, like, do you do you look back on it? Are you able to look back and go, I'm okay with it? Like, I, I see what I was going for. Uh, it was called Off the Beaten Path. Okay, I know that record. I'm not going to hide behind it. <laughs> and believe it or not, it was still a failure, but it still sold about 250,000 copies. And that right now, if you could sell 250,000 copies, I you're number say, one. Yeah, <laughs> you're number one on the chart. Unbelievable. For, yeah. for no, I, I, I don't particularly listen to a lot of my old music. I mean, sometimes it'll pop up and I, I play the game um, impressed or depressed. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it impresses me. Sometimes it depresses me, depending on the song. But that album was, it, it was from my heart. There was nothing going to get in the way of me making that album and, and presenting it. And the fact that it's still there and will be there forever. Um, maybe it, one day in the future, people will discover it. And, and, or maybe that sound will all of a sudden become popular. But I think it's, I'm proud of it. My, it was a moment in my life that was very real and very, uh, it was an accurate reflection of who I was at that, that moment. It exists on the timeline as like almost like a like a photograph of a of a moment in time where you can go that's that's who I was then that was that was authentic. Hundred um, percent. I was going to say that this business is hard to keep friendships in, but I don't know if that's actually true. Have you maintained friendships in this business for you know thirty years? Have you? And what is the secret to be able to do that in such a competitive field? I think it has a lot to do with our format. The contemporary jazz or jazz world, I think, is is made up of very heart-centered people. Uh, I've really not met anybody, or I can count on one hand, of fellow artists that I don't enjoy their company. Yeah. There are, are many artists that I would consider my very best friends. Uh, Rick Braun would be a classic example of that, the great trumpet player. I mean, we've, we've collaborated on so many things. He's produced albums for me. Uh, we've written songs together. We've been on tour, uh, multiple tours together. Um, and he and his wife are like really best friends uh, to me. And we get together, we talk about everything. Richard Elliott is another great friend. Gerald Albright. My, my uh, contemporaries are actually great friends of mine. And um, hopefully I would, they would say the same thing about, about me. So uh, it's nice when you can actually collaborate. And I, I'm, a, I'm sort of a born collaborator. I really enjoy the collaboration process. I think if I was left to my own devices and had to do everything myself, I'd probably just keep repeating myself over and over. So the art of collaboration, getting into somebody else's worlds, sometimes very awkward and off-putting, but yeah. usually when you can find that subset that here's my circle and here's their circle and there's that overlap uh, section, that's where magic, for me, that's where magic can happen. And so uh, taking that um, out of the studio or out of the concert stage and, and really enjoying each other's company, that's been a really great blessing in my life too. Are you competitive? So when you hear somebody, you go, man, that's, I got to, I got to step it up. That's really good. Well, I'm a cheerleader for, for music. I have good, uh, good. a few different radio shows that I host. Um, one is called the Dave Cause Radio Show, which has been on the air for uh, 27 years now, uninterrupted on uh, terrestrial radio. And I also host a weekend show on Sirius XM watercolors called the Dave Cause Lounge. And on these shows uh, for all these years, uh, I think the biggest uh, 
job for me is to celebrate the artists that are making the music because this kind of music is not top of mind in the mass press. I mean, we don't get written about in the People magazine and we're That's not, true. we're just sort of, we're sort of a niche and we're sort of below the surface. So I think that there, if there's any uh, opportunity to celebrate the music and the artists who make it, uh, then I'm I'm all for that, and on these shows, that's basically what what I've I've done for all these years. So there's the 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 quintessential, the big artists like whether it's George Benson or Stevie Wonder or Quincy Jones or those kinds of huge uh, uh, influences to the brand new artists that nobody knows and everybody in between. These are, that's what the shows are about: is celebrating the great music that these people are making. I was talking to Tommy Emmanuel about George Benson. And I said, why is George Benson one of those guys that musicians, they bow down to him, but the public doesn't seem to understand like just how amazing he really is. He is amazing. And by the way, Tommy Emmanuel is amazing. That guy is, whew, I know. love I know. the way he plays. We, we, uh, we actually did a, a collaboration together a long, long time ago. It's probably 20 years ago that we did it. And I haven't seen him since. So if you talk to him again, say, say hello for me. I will. But uh, Benson is, is one of those guys, I think because he became a pop artist, uh, but he started in jazz and his, his guitar playing was firmly rooted in, in, um, in traditional jazz. And so I think as musicians, we look to that part of him as the sort of like, he has got all the vocabulary. And then he also is able to sing. And when he opens his mouth, it's just this very charismatic voice that you just latch onto, whether you're a jazz fan or not. Everybody just latched on to the to his voice and his selection of material too. So I think he became a pop star, but his music is very much uh, based in in jazz music. So I think you have a lot of musicians that really respect that. Stevie Wonder would be a, a, another guy too that uh, his music is so uh, well, it's just so pop. Uh, it's, everybody loves it. It's it's part of the zeitgeist i mean can you imagine not having any stevie wonder music or no. having, not having any michael jackson music or not having any earth wind and fire music i can go on and on and on these are iconic artists that have given the world so much music but it's not fluff it's all very the roots of that music even as pop as it can be and how mass it is the roots go way deep down and i think because of that is the you get the respect of musicians to, to end with, a and it's a weird question, and I, I'm curious because you came of age in Southern California at this time. Did punk rock mean anything to you at all? Did that, did that music just sort of, did it connect with you on any level? I'm just kind of curious. I like the rebellion of it. I like the, uh, and I, I, I thought that the way people showed up, uh, the way that they looked and the attitude that they showed up with, I enjoyed that. It's, musically, it wasn't my thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just didn't touch me in that way. But from an attitude and, and point of view and the statement that that music made, because uh, it definitely made a statement, Yeah, I really respected that. I did get a chance to play on uh, a Green Day album once, and that was really cool. And I think of in that genre, those guys, and you talk about staying power, uh, those guys have been around forever and probably will be around forever as long as they want to do it. Uh, but I think that that's, 
an amazing thing that they did because when they came out, it was definitely part of that era and part of that sort of genre of music. But they as well were able to create this long-tailed career. And for the same reason, too, I think that their music has roots that go very, very deep. So it's not, it's like a big oak tree. It's not going anywhere. They're, they're here to stay. Well, Dave Cause, you are a true gentleman. And uh, I've enjoyed talking to you. I love your album. And I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to have this conversation. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed this very much, Alex. And I wish you much continued success in all that you're doing with your writing and teaching. And uh, let's have another chat soon. class act that Dave cause really nice guy really enjoyed that conversation and uh, what can I say he's one of the good ones and guess what his new album a new day it's not one of the good ones of the year it's one of the great ones go get it it's a great listen you're gonna love it davecause.com k-o-z is how you spell his last name c-a-u-s-e uh, that's a whole different person I'm not sure what that guy is about so we'll just avoid him altogether. Dave Cause with a K, that's the guy we're talking about, the man with the saxophone. AlexGreenOnline.com will get you to my website, find out what's going on with me. At the moment, not that much. My book tour was canceled due to the uh, pandemic, but uh, as, soon as, it, as soon as it clears up, <laughs> as soon as the pandemic clears, I will be in your city in a bookstore reading from my book for kids about murder. <laughs> uh, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use. Leave us a little rating, a nice comment or two. Tell all your friends. Have them tell all their friends. Then have them tell all their friends. You see where this is going. That's right. World domination. You know what I'm not dominating? Instagram. Find me on there and uh, follow me. Here, I'll just I'll make it easy for you. At Ember's Editor. Uh, look me up and uh, join the club because the club right now is small. It's embarrassing. I need it bigger. <laughs> yeah, sometimes men say things like that. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can email me, editor, at stereoembersmagazine.com. You can also go to bombshellradio.com and find out what makes this radio station tick the way it does. I really appreciate you being here week in and week out. Thank you so much. I will see you next week. And let's close things off with a longer listen to Dave Cause's Summertime in New York City. Enjoy it. And I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio.